0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Firms Consulting podcast. Today's podcast covers a post that appears in the website, firmsconsulting.com. If you go to the 10th of October, 2012, you'll see a post put up called Case Interview Podcast, Analyzing a Client's Hypotheses on a Postal Service Case. So when you're listening to this podcast, it will be a good idea to have that post open and blow up the The attachment that we've got embedded into that uh, post. So before I get into the details of the case, um, in terms of some background here, the client who asked for this, I'm going to obviously withhold their name, I'm going to call them Steven throughout this entire um, podcast, but this is from one of our clients in our case coaching program who was kind enough to allow us to divulge our response to the broader public. So um, thank you, Steven, for that. In terms of my background, just a quick observation that I've done a few corporate strategy projects for postal companies. Many of you who follow my background know that I specialized in state-owned enterprises. um, And a lot of my background is dealing with state-owned enterprises. And postal companies are state-owned enterprises. So what I've tried to do is, in reading this, I've tried to ignore the background information that I already have. And every time I realize something about the U.S. Postal Service, I always ask myself, can I deduce that from what's on the sheet of paper or can I deduce that from general stuff that's in the press at the moment? If I couldn't, have excluded it because I'm using an unfair advantage. The second thing you need to understand when you look at this, you're probably asking yourself, why is Stephen developing hypotheses of decision trees? Because every single public forum you go to will teach you that decision trees and hypotheses are different unfortunately that's not true decision trees and hypotheses are not different if you read the early work of Kenichi Oma, read his work The Mind of a Strategist if you've watched his videos and if you've sat in on some of his training sessions Kenichi Oma used to be the director and the head of McKinsey Japan and he ran strategy at one point has an amazing video where he shows you how decision trees and hypotheses, while they differ in some ways, they're actually linked in many ways. And what we've done here is, We've developed a technique whereby we help candidates ensure that the hypotheses they develop are structured, focused, and messy by building them off a decision tree, which is very counterintuitive. Um, it may take some time for you to understand this concept, so you may want to pay attention here. But it's a very unusual concept. When you see people doing this, you pretty much know they were trained by us or by one of our partners. So once uh, I conti- so let me go through the process here. Right, I've explained some of the background, which is quite important. I'm going to start off by analyzing the question just a little bit. I'll spend quite a little of, quite a bit of time talking through the structure Stephen has put together, and then I'll talk through the hypotheses he's generated, which are very interesting. I've highlighted 17 points I want to make here, but I think for the sake of interest and for the sake of structuring I would say that most of them are quite important, so especially as we get towards the end and get into the hypotheses, the points there are very important. So let's just start with the structure that Stephen has developed. So the U.S. Postal Service has been losing money and market share over the past several years. Can you tell me why and what they can do about it? I'm assuming in this case... That is all the information that has been presented to you. And to be honest, there's quite a lot of clues in this um, two lines. It clearly says losing money and then says market share, right? So if it's losing money, we can assume it's a profitability issue. And profitability is driven by revenue and costs. And we know revenue is driven by price times, volume, or segments of products. And even if it was price times, volume because they tell you market share is being lost, you can very quickly see this is a volume issue and not really a pricing issue, even though pricing may be driving the volume changes. But the change is happening on the volume side, although probably influenced by pricing, but we don't know that for a fact. So the framework that Stephen has come out with is that he split out market share as a completely different area from profits, which to me is a bad idea. Because by doing that, he's created this pretty extensive framework where he has market share divided into customers, competitors, the US post office with products and prices and that's duplicated on the revenue side. I would have m- much more have simplified this by saying that market share is a volume issue and this market share structure that he's got at the top could very well have easily been the volume framework that he has as part of the profit tree below that so you could pretty much erase that market share structure he has delete the whole thing and it could simply break out the volume structure below revenue and below profits and that would be the market share structure Now, now why would i say that well let's look at this firstly right we know that to increase volume sales of anything you can either do nothing you can do nothing if the overall market is growing at the rate you want to grow you can either take market share or you can expand into new markets. So we know one of the three, we know that volume, to increase volume, you have three options, right? And we're assuming this is all organic. Inorganic options would be MLA and so on. To increase volume, you have three options. One of them is taking market share. And we know that the drivers of market share are the four Ps price, place, promotion, product. So what Steven's done here is overcomplicated the market share analysis. And because he's overcomplicated and he's actually duplicated many things, you can see here that prices are duplicated, products are duplicated, customer analysis and so on is duplicated. My advice to Stephen is that if he goes to um, session, I think it's session three in our video library, we, we have a very good way to analyze volume cases. In fact, that also comes from Kenichi So a lot of the thinking we have for, for solving cases come from McKinsey as well. So that's my first point. He's overthought market share and put it in the wrong place. And because he's overthought it and duplicated it and put it in the wrong place, he's duplicated the analysis, right? To analyze market share, as I pointed out, market share is a volume issue. Volume is driven by three areas. Volume To increase volume, you have three options. Do nothing, take market share, or increase yourself into new markets. Doing nothing, we assume, is not an option here. Increasing market share is driven by the four Ps, and that is what he he should have done for volume. Um, Let's look at the way he's um, now broken down profits, right? Because that's obviously the most important tree, so we can ignore the tree above that. No problem with revenue and cost. I think that makes sense. One of the things I would advise Stephen, however, is to be quite creative. I, I really fall asleep in a case when someone tells me they're going to attack a profitability case by looking at revenue and cost i mean why can't you attack a profitability case by looking at the profit per region profit per product profit per subsidiary i'd like some creativity there it is you know when as an interviewer when i hear someone says revenue minus cost you may be giving yourself a silent pat on your back you know that you've got your structure right but all i'm saying is that well that's nice but anyone can tell you that, including my five-year-old niece, right? So some creativity would be good. And I know, I mean, knowing Stephen, I think that he is obviously aware that he could have been more creative. Yeah, and I think he's his harshest critic, so he doesn't have to hear me telling him that. But the point is that I, I would like him to be more creative. He does have a very strong numbers background and tends to follow the numbers. But creativity is important. As I point out in the brainstorming vid- uh, videos under session four of the video library, There's more than one set of drivers for any single case. For any single case, you can come up with at least three or four sets of drivers that look completely different from each set of drivers, right? So revenue and cost correct but bit boring. He's broken down revenue to price and volume. My immediate concern here is that you've got a post, you've got the US post office, which is a multi-billion dollar company, you know, covering the entire world, right? and he's he's broken the price and volume what he's done there is he's averaged out the volume and prices between each of the different product groups or the different segments of the different geographies, right? So, for example, if you've got courier that's selling at one price and one set of volume per year, and you've got domestic mail that's selling at a certain price and, uh, and pushing a certain volume per year, when you add them all up and average them out, you're going to get averages that mean nothing. So, I, I would have recommended against breaking down revenue into price and volume, but merely breaking it down into um, revenue groups. Now, while he's looking at profits, right? Let's just step back for a minute. We've we've eliminated this branch up here called market share. That entire structure. We've said that that should be part of volume, but I think a better structure for this case overall would have been something along the lines of you know. He's, I don't even see a key question here, which I'm surprised, but I'm assuming that you know there's no need for a key question. No data is presented and so on, and he can't discuss anything with the interviewer so i can see the lack of a key question i would have had my structure being customers competitors markets and finances but what i'll show you now is even customers and competitors are going to be covered under volume let me show you you do that right let's assume we had gone ahead with this with the volume case right so end the volume case, let's assume revenue had been broken down into price and volume, which I'm okay with you can still solve the case by breaking down revenue to price times volume versus breaking down into revenue groups, but revenue groups would sort have of made his life a whole lot easier but let's assume we broke it down, let's assume let's make it easier for us, let's assume we broke down revenue into revenue group 1 revenue group 2 and revenue group 3, now revenue group 1 will break into price and volume, that makes sense because you're comparing like with like volume is split into three Areas. It's split into place, product and promotion. Place is the channels through which you go to market. Product is obviously products and promotion is how you advertise it. But product is more than just product. Whenever you analyze a product, you are always analyzing the product's ability to meet customer needs relative to competitors. And I want you to repeat that and write it down five times because it's important, right? You're going to be like Bart Simpson on the board writing down these things. Right? You got to write down when you analyse products, you can only analyse products relative to its ability to meet customer needs in light of what customers are offering. So ask yourself this, when you say products, what are you actually doing in that analysis? And there's only one thing you can do in an analysis of products. You got to analyse the products' ability to meet customer needs relative to competitors. Now, analyse customer needs, analyse products' ability to meet customer needs relative to competitors. So you can see here, That customers and competitors are part of the product analysis, which is why having competitors and and, uh, having customers and competitors as a separate uh, branch of your tree is kind of irrelevant. The only reason I ask people to put it up as their first level structure along with profits and market is sometimes people forget. But if you're very very disciplined in structuring this, you don't need it, right? Now, let's continue here. Let's look at. I was surprised that costs were broken down and given such short stature in this case because you're dealing with a state-owned enterprise, a behemoth that's governed by the state and is inefficient, and you've actually not, don't have an hypothesis on costs. I'm a bit surprised. I mean, you don't even have to know a lot about state-owned enterprise. If you read the paper, you would know uh, the pension, the uh, postal service, and most state assets are burdened by pensions, unions, and um, you know old and tired assets. And I'm not referring to the employees. I'm referring to physical assets. So I'm surprised that fixed costs and variable costs mean correct structure. But fixed costs missed out employees completely. Labor is not a variable cost. People always say that. But a portion of labor is variable cost the bulk is fixed costs most labor doesn't change as you have to deliver more mail it changes if there's a huge increase in the amount of mail you have to deliver so you know there's not a direct relationship there uh things like pensions missing but even if he even if he missed some of the key things i'm surprised he does not have an hypothesis on costs here i'm surprised that um you know he's gone for revenue as the main area But I can see him doing that because the issue does say the the case does say market share drop was the volume issue. So I can see him pushing volume very aggressively. But even so, I would have come up with a cost uh, hypothesis because this is the postal service, known for its inefficiency, right? So just to recap the structure, the structure I would have had would be just the profit structure. I would have said profits. I've told the interviewer, thank you very much for this case. Um, Looks very interesting. I mean, I've. I've read about some of the problems about the U.S. postal services, but I can't claim an expert, so I'm relying on what little I've read and what I know about postal services in general. I think it makes sense to break down my structure into revenue and cost. I know that's not really insightful. We could have broken down into product group, into region, but I think the structure could work for me because we say we're losing market share, I'm going to prioritize revenue over cost. And I'll break down um, revenue into the major revenue buckets. I would assume that would be uh, things like parcels, courier services, regular mails, maybe some savings services and you know, direct deposit services. I-, I could think of those four. Is anything I'm missing? The interviewer will either confirm or deny it. Then I'll say, okay, the one I'm going to analyze here is the one that has the largest contribution to revenue and the one that has shown the biggest change. Do we have any data on that? The interviewer will give that to you. And then I would um, break it down. Now, assuming the interviewer doesn't give it to you, and in this particular case, there's no interviewer to talk to, you will have to assume where you think the issue is. And the issue is most likely going to be on domestic mail because that will be the bulk of the services, right? Courier is going to be taken off by UPS, FedEx, and so on. And then here, you'll break down domestic mail into price and volume, and you already know volume is a problem, so you'll zoom in on volume, right? And you'll break down volume into the three Ps, which is, place product promotion and I would obviously go after product because you're dealing with an inefficient bureaucracy that is not known for its innovative skills, so the products must be lagging, right? And I would have come up with hypotheses there. I'll discuss the hypotheses in a few minutes. Under costs, I would have gone through a similar structure, broken it down, and I would have quickly zoomed in on labor and pensions. Pensions must be a big cost that they're paying in every year, so I'd have zoomed in on that, right? Now, the question that um, Stephen has here is that is it an issue that um, something occurs twice in your structure? It is a big issue. Because if something occurs twice, it is law wrong. It is completely wrong. What you're telling me in your structure is that you can manipulate prices to manipulate market share. And, which is correct you can manipulate prices to manipulate profits but I don't see the link between market share and profits if you and that's the problem I have here you know if you when you, the problem you have with this structure is that when you make a change on prices you've got to go to your structure and see how it's going to impact market share and impact profits you've got to double check something the equivalent for those people the equivalent of doing this is imagine you build an excel model and you don't link two sheets right you make a change in one sheet on prices if you forget to make the change elsewhere, with the, the, the The model is going to give you a different number. The point is they all have to be linked. That is why you have one structure. You've broken up the structure, so everything's not linked. You can't test for causality. You can't test for MECI and so on. So that's the problem I have here. It's not MECI. If it was MECI and was structured, they should not be duplicates, right? So I'm against that. Then when it comes down to how to break revenue, the rule of thumb is that if you are dealing with uh, more than one revenue group, break it down by the revenue cluster. Revenue may be broken down by geography and so on. I've seen you've gotten revenue broken down by price, market size, market share. Interesting, but knowing that you're quite mathematical in the way you operate, you've broken down revenue into different definitions rather than the different clusters of revenue. And you should think about that. So revenue can be broken down by different clusters, like different regions of the United States, rather than different mathematical drivers like price, market share, and so on. My advice to you is that when you're breaking down revenue, the bigger the company is, the better it is to break it into clusters. For example, if you're dealing with General Electric's worldwide profits, I'm not going to break that down into market share and so on, or into price. No, I'll break it down into the different divisions. Because... The prom is most likely going to line one or two divisions, right? The bigger the company, the better to break it down into clusters that are quite large geography, division, market product, and so on right? hopefully that makes sense, and let's look at hypothesis one, right due to competitors' lower prices the u s post customers are switching to their competitors, resulting in the u s post market share decreasing. I really had no problem with this hypothesis. It was a good hypothesis. You explained what the problem was. You explained that switching is taking place and so on. I think it was great. I actually wouldn't improve much in this hypothesis to answer question one. But to answer question 11, it should be very narrow. Now, Stephen, just to recap, you know the reason we ask you to build the hypotheses on a decision tree. Let's just recap to remind you of this. Most people, when they build hypotheses, they don't have this decision tree structuring their hypotheses they just throw out hypotheses they don't know if their hypotheses overlap they don't know if their hypothesis is a direct driver of the issue right by building out a decision tree you know that these issues directly drive the question at hand by tailoring your hypothesis to handle just one branch of the extreme right-hand side of your decision tree, you know that that hypothesis cannot and is not overlapping with any other extreme right-hand side branch. By making sure it's not overlapping, by making sure that it's on the extreme right-hand side, you avoid the fact that it's too broad. By definition, it's narrow. right? So it should be narrow. It should be narrow because it prevents an overlap, right? So the answer your question very clearly, it should be narrow. The more narrow your hypothesis is, the better. My advice is hypothesis 1 is a very good hypothesis. You could have made it slightly better by saying that, you know, due to competitors lowering prices on the domestic mail, maybe, could have made it better. But it still would work. The interview is not going to fail you for this, right? The interview is not going to fail you for your previous structure, although it's probably going to tell you that it's not very structured and there's some overlap here. Data needed to test hypothesis 1. Now, what interests me is that if I look at the data needed to test hypothesis 1 and hypothesis 3, in hypothesis 3, you've developed a graph. In hypothesis 1, you you haven't developed a graph. And I don't understand that, right? So question 3, why do you have text here when you should be drawing a graph? I would have drawn a graph by showing competitors' prices over time versus our prices. Competitors market share over that same period and our market share for that product. That would be able to indicate if there is a switch, right? And maybe, you know, you could ask if there's a survey of, you know, do we do a survey of why customers are switching or not using our services? That could work. So question three, three, I have a couple of points to make. You should have used a graph. Your test could have been better. But here's the big issue I have. Hypothesis one talks about costs. In question three, you, your hypothesis is how would I, I would like to analyze customer needs. Now, what does customer needs have to do with costs or prices, right? Your hypothesis is about prices, but you talk about customer needs. And that, to me, is an example of where you are overlapping. Your hypothesis is about prices. You stick to prices in your hypothesis and your test. Question three, even though it refers to an hypothesis with prices, you're talking about customer needs, That is an example of overlap. Do not overlap. You you should have said, I would like to analyze how customer market shares have split over time as our prices and competitor prices have changed. That would have been much better for me, right? Question four. How should the hypotheses and supporting data step change for McKinsey approach versus the BCG approach? Now, just a very important point here. People always say the McKinsey approach versus the BCG approach, but it's it's a very, very misleading statement. The McKinsey approach is an answer-first approach, uniformly called the McKinsey approach or the Bain approach. The BCG approach is, is, is a little bit different. The BCG approach is the interview. E-led approach is where you lead the case. The McKinsey approach is also known as where the interviewer leads the case. So when you talk about the McKinsey approach and BCG approach, I am only referring to the fact that in one the interviewer leads the interviewee, that meaning you, Stephen, would lead the case, like BCG, that's BCG. and in the other approach, interviewer-led approach, McKinsey would lead the case, and you, Stephen, would follow. Right now, there's a- another difference as well between the two firms beyond that. McKinsey only wants the answer first approach. BCG is fine with decision trees. You can solve a BCG case with hypotheses or with a decision tree you're fine. Now come back to your question, you know, would anything change? No. If you use this approach, with a correction for the structure that I made, and you develop your hypotheses and you use that for McKinsey or BCG, they'll be happy. BCG is fine if you use either approach, decision trees or hypotheses. McKinsey only wants hypotheses. McKinsey and Bain also only want the interviewer-led approach. BCG prefers the interviewee-led approach. BCG is far more flexible on cases. Always remember that, right? Let's look at hypothesis two, right? Now here's a confusing thing, right? Let, let's look at this. Just follow my line of reasoning here. Hypothesis one is about customer price, is about competitor prices. To test hypothesis one, under question three. Second line, you talk about customer needs. Then hypothesis two is about customer needs. So it's again a confusion. To me, in hypothesis one, you start off with pricing, but you're actually testing customer needs. And hypothesis two, it is about customer needs, right? So an overlap there that you have. Now, if hypothesis one was only about prices, I'd be okay if hypothesis two was only about customer needs, right? I wouldn't actually change much in this hypothesis, but the test I would do is I would say, you know, what have been the changes to the attributes of our products over over time and how have market shares changed. I could have done that. Also a survey of customers. They may have a survey with them, right? So again, I would always plot a graph. And this is a very simple rule. When you want to test an hypothesis, I always take out a sheet of paper, plot an X and Y axis and see what diagram I'm going to draw. Because the diagram is going to tell me what data I need. And I see you've done that in hypothesis 3, but you haven't done that for hypothesis 1 or 2. So good hypothesis 2, but only if hypothesis 1 was directly focused on prices, which it's not. And what you've got here is you've got an overlap between hypothesis 1 and hypothesis 2. Um... Hypothesis three now, the problem you have with hypothesis three is that hypothesis three and hypothesis two overlap, and because hypothesis two and hypothesis one overlap go, hypothesis three and hypothesis one must overlap i 'm just going to for those people who haven 't been paying much attention i 'm going to re- remind you why they overlap. Hypothesis one talks about lowering compa- cus- uh, lowering prices, but to test it under question three, you talk about analyzing customer needs. Then, hypothesis 2 is about analyzing customer needs, which means hypothesis 1 and 2 must overlap. Hypothesis 2 talks about customer needs. Hypothesis 3 talks about substitute products. Now, let's go back to how we break down volume, right? In the structure, volume is broken down into place, product promotion. Product we know can only be ever analyzed by analyzing the ability of the product to satisfy customer needs relative to competitors. So You must have a triangle, an equilateral triangle with product on the top. You have customer on one side and you have competitor on one side. And this is the problem you have, right? So you're analyzing customer needs in hypothesis 2 but to analyze customer needs you have to look at it relative to what the product is offering. And you are looking at what the product is offering in Hypothesis 3. So my advice to you, Stephen, is that you should develop one hypothesis that takes into consideration product, customers, and competitors. Right? If you wanted to split it out, I'm okay with that. But then, if you wanted to split it out, you could have made Hypothesis through totally void of what customers are looking for, but it's very hard to do that. My advice to you is that you should have had one hypothesis on pricing, one on products around volume, and one on costs. That would have worked pretty well because the reason it worked well is because pricing does drive volume, so you're looking at volume from that angle, and then you're developing a Volume hypothesis around products. Data test hypothesis 3. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with this. And again, I I can very quickly see that intuitively you were looking at domestic mail because you talk about email sent. Email tends to replace domestic mail, right? It doesn't replace courier packages and so on. So intuitively thinking about it, which is good, but you haven't verbalized it earlier. So number of emails sent, good. But it's not the only products that... um, a product groups that the postal service is looking at. So somewhere in there you've decided that of all the product categories you're going to analyze, you're only going to analyze domestic mail. But you haven't told me that anyway in your analysis, but I can see it very clearly clearly from my hypothesis 3 and the test you want to run for hypothesis 3 which is y-axis line one number of emails sent emails only replaces domestic mail. It doesn't replace Korean package right? So I'm going to summarize where I think the problems are. I think the first problem is that you came up with a very bulky structure. You should have known by now that market share is a volume issue and volume is covered as part of the profit framework. Second, your hypotheses are not tight. One of the mistakes you made, I think, is negligent, right? Due to competitors lower prices, you talk about prices, but then you test it by looking at how we'd like to analyze customer needs now in the united states if you negligent and kill someone when you're driving it's called manslaughter you still go to prison for it so it's still a crime negligence is not an excuse right i know you'd have a lot of attention to detail so my guess is maybe you just forgot about this i'll give you the benefit of the doubt there but i do feel that you didn't understand the volume side well enough. And remember what I told you when we did session three. You now have a way to tackle volume. And, and my argument to you there was that most people cannot break down and analyze volume. They don't know how to do it. You ask someone to break down the drivers of volume, they can't do it for you because they just can't. But we've taught you how to break. We always teach you the basics, how to break down volume, how to break down price. And you also know how to break down price. I'm surprised you haven't done that here. You know pricing, the, the upper boundary for price is the price the market will bear. The lower boundary for price is the unit cost of production, assuming going to be profitable. The two middle drivers would be the strategy of the company and substitutes. So because you're measuring substitutes elsewhere, you could have gone with the upper and lower boundaries. That would have been your drivers for price. So I think that definitely you overcomplicated your structure your hypotheses were too narrow and what I've I seen you've done is and I see this with a lot of people is they don't compare their hypotheses your, if you say your hypothesis is directly linked to one branch, it must be directly linked to that branch and not cover anything else. But nonetheless, this is quite a good attempt. I like the fact that you're trying to generate graphs to test your hypothesis. I mean, that's all I'm interested in in a case. If I don't see a graph, I kind of lose interest. My eyes glazes over. It looks like I started smoking in the meeting room and so on. But good attempt um, and we'll obviously speak soon. What I would caution you to do, Stephen, is just be very careful about the structures you have. Uh, Volume here, clearly market share belongs to that. There was no reason to overcomplicate it. Uh, Some negligent errors under hypotheses, a lot of duplication because you didn't understand the volume framework, Um, and I'm surprised you left out costs, and I would prefer to see more graphs when you're testing your hypotheses. As always, Stephen, you may write to me for feedback, and anyone else, I'll be happy to respond. Thank you.